0: Oh, God bless you guys. Great fellowship. Um, We are in the Gospel of Matthew, continuing our study through the the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 10, verse 32 through 42. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Joey's up with Bibles in his hand, so he'll bring them right to your seat so you can follow along. Anybody need a Bible? Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 42 this morning. I think everybody got an early start this morning. We had a lot of people first service, and we're later second service, so that's all right. It's Christmas time, there, and it's nice outside, so that's even better. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is speaking. We start in verse 32. He says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake, will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who re- receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will shall re- receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Title of my message this morning is Being Prepared. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in your word, knowing that your Holy Spirit is here to teach us through your word the things that you would have us to learn, that you would have us to apply to our lives, put into practice, that we might honor you and glorify you with our lives in a greater capacity. Lord, we pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to Uh, be born again. They're not saved. They, They don't have their sin forgiven. Lord, would you especially touch them this morning and let them see that you're here to heal and to save and to give them life. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon our time together. We pray your blessing upon the kids downstairs as they learn of you as well. We commit our time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, nine shopping days are left till Christmas. How many of you are all done? Just raise your hand if you're all done. Then that's good. Okay, how many are almost done? Almost done. Okay. How many are like me, you're not even close to being done? All right, we're all in a, in a good good boat there. I can't, I, yeah, my whole family, all there, you're still in. Well, they're not getting anything for Christmas anyway, so. <laughs> I read a story about a woman who said, could I get my husband to address the Christmas cards? I wondered. The family was coming. There was shopping yet to do, gifts to wrap, the tree to decorate, cooking, cleaning. I arranged the cards, stamped an address book on the table. Then hopefully, as they pulled up a chair, I said, come on, dear. Let's get these out of the way. He glanced at the array on the table, turned away and went into the den. While I looked, daggers at his back. I heard a drawer a drawer jerk open and a bang shut. He returned with a high stack of Christmas cards stamped, sealed, and addressed. They're last year, she said. I forgot to mail them. <laughs> he says, Let's go out to dinner, relax. You've been working too hard. That's one way to be prepared. Well, here in chapter ten, as Jesus is preparing to send out his disciples in the full-time ministry. He is giving instruction and preparing them for the things that they were about to face, what they might encounter as they go out to minister. It was still unknown for them. They were unsure. And Jesus didn't want to wait until these guys got back and say to him, Lord, this is what we expected. We were persecuted. We were made fun of. We had people that actually hated us, and that came from the people even inside our own family. And that would be the case, but Jesus wanted to warn them ahead of time. He wanted to prepare them for what was about to happen. I've always enjoyed the story about some Christians that were standing by the side of the road, holding up a sign that said, The end is near. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. They planned on, on holding up the sign for every person that drove by to see. Well, the first driver sped by and rolled down his window and said, You stupid Christians, leave us alone. And then he went a little bit further and there was a big splash. One of the Christians turned to the other and said, do you think we should just put up a sign that says bridge out instead? You know, Jesus' ministry is one of prevention. He doesn't want any of us to perish. So what does God do? He sends his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In Matthew chapter 5, or rather 15, verse 32 when Jesus saw the multitude there that were following him, knowing ahead of time that they would be hungry, he says there, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So he provided for them, prepared for them food so they would not faint. In his loving kindness, knowing what awaits us, he prepares us for whatever that may be, whatever we may face. Now, we may not always know what we're being prepared for, but that doesn't stop His preparation in our lives. See, here Jesus is sending out His disciples. and verse 1, we read that He gave them the power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of diseases and sickness. And, 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 and so they're about to go out. And he, he prepared them with power to do that, to do the miraculous. But more than that, He's preparing them for what they could expect as they go out. He said in verse 16, Be prepared for persecution. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as as serpents and harmless as doves. He also said he prepared them for accusations in verse 22. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Now think about that for a moment. If Jesus was sending his disciples out to strike men with leprosy, to to cause those to see to become blind, to, to those that walk to make them lame, to, to those that hear to take away their hearing. You could understand why Jesus would say, hey, you're going to be hated by by, by me for my namesake. I mean, they're going to hate you for this. You'd understand why. But you see, Jesus Christ knew that there would be men out there who, were, who would never allow good to be done if by any means they can help it. There are always men who would rather see you lost than turn to Jesus. There will always be those that will come against you for doing good. Jesus wanted them to know this, prepare them for this. He's preparing for them for what they will face. It's, it's not going to be easy. But the joy you'll, be, you'll find in being used by me and reaching people with the hope of the gospel, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be all worth it. Now whether we realize it or not, we've all, we're all sent out ones. We're, we're, we're being sent out to our Lord Jesus. And He wants us to be prepared for for what we might face as well as being witnesses for Him. And so in these last few verses of chapter 10, He gives us three things to prepare for when it comes to being used by Him. If you're taking notes, number one, be prepared for conflict. Number two, be prepared for division. But number three, the best point, be prepared for blessing. Number one, be prepared for conflict. Look now at verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever confesses Me before men... Him I will also confess before my Father, who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before man, him I also will deny before my Father, who is in heaven. Now this particular passage is often used in the context of evangelism and people standing up for Jesus Christ, you stand up for Jesus Christ, you confess him now he 'll confess you before his father in heaven, you deny him now he 'll deny you before his father in heaven, and that 's correct, and it 's that proper application but there 's another way of looking at this verse as well. Because as Jesus is talking here, he's speaking about sending his disciples out and sharing with family members and loved ones. And he's saying to them, give glory where glory is due. When you're standing before men, don't deny me before men, because if you do, I'll deny you before my Father. In other words... When a person who was blind receives a sight, or a person who is lame begins to walk, or you've cast out a demon from someone, I want to prepare you that there's going to be that temptation for you to take the glory onto yourself, for you to take credit for it yourself, to say thank you very much. I'll be in town for the rest of the week. Invite your friends. Come on out. But to see that really comes back to pride. Maybe someone says, Wow, your church is really man. It's a great church. It's really grown. What's the secret? Well, in that moment, you have the opportunity to deny the Lord his glory. Or maybe you lead someone to the Lord. And you take the credit for it, denying God's glory before men. See, we need to realize that God has prepared us to bring him glory. That's what we're here for. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 tells us, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So how do we bring God glory? By giving glory that's due His name. We confess Him before men. We say, this is the Lord Jesus Christ that is doing this in my life and I'm able to stand before you and minister to you because of Him and what He's done in my life. To Him be the glory. You know, to not confess Jesus could also be to not speak up for Him as well when the opportunity arises. Have you ever been in one of those situations where it's almost as though God has set the scene for you? I call them divine appointments and i know i'm in one because you know the questions are too specific you know to 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 think of anything else you know you run into someone in a grocery store someone you haven't seen for a while maybe you went to high school with and they're, they're not a believer and you're maybe you're in line and you're getting coffee and they go wow how you been i've been doing pretty good and they say to you man what's this world coming to Man, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if there's any hope. I, man, I wish there was someone who could tell me how to get right with God. You're going, yeah. I wish there was too. You know. <laughs> no. Suddenly, your your heart's beating in your neck. You know. You go. You know. The spirit is working. And then, man, there's that nervousness. Oh, I'm going to speak up for the Lord. There have been times in my life where, where it hasn't been that that obvious, but there are times where, where I've regretted not speaking up for the Lord. I think there's probably times in your life where you've regretted uh, you know, what you needed to say and you didn't do it. You, know, you just may be paralyzed by fear. We need to speak up for the Lord and His strength. And one way to deny Him is to not confess and to not let people know that we believe. Uh, let me ask you this question. Do people know that you're a believer? Do your co-workers know that you're a believer? Do your family members know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? I've shared this before. You've heard this before. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I don't mean evidence you know, by all the bumper stickers you have on your car, and you've got the, the fish, and you've got the, the I'm going to heaven, and, and, and the t-shirts, and the, you know, all the, the pins and the cross around your neck. I'm talking about a lifestyle. Talking about the way that you are, that the people can say, yes, this person, man, they are a believer in Jesus Christ. Man, they love the Lord. Man, I look at their integrity and, and their love for others. Man, it's so evident. Would people know that you're a Christian? Are you speaking up for Jesus Christ? I hope so. Again, here in verses 32 and 33, Jesus is talking about being prepared for what they may face. And he's talking about when they have the opportunities to be used by him, uh, or led by him, to go for it. But don't take any glory uh, from it. Now does that mean if, if I take credit for something the Lord did, that he's going to deny me before my Father in heaven, I'm doomed for all eternity? No, definitely not. It means that when we stand before the Bema of Seat of Christ, that reward ceremony, when the rewards are giving out, if we've blown it, if we've taken credit for it, then you've enjoyed that credit here on earth. The Bema Seed is not a place that where sins are judged. Our sins were judged at Calvary, at the cross. We'll never be judged for our sins and our failings or our backsliding, but we will be rewarded for what we did in Christ's name. If we confess Jesus before men, Jesus will confess us before the Father, and rewards will come our way eternally. Now, don't get me wrong. There is application here that if we continually deny Him, It proves that we really don't have a relationship with him in the first place. But if we confess him before men, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of death, it proves that our our true relationship is with Jesus Christ. I read a story about a a book written by the late Festo Kavinjuri, who was a leading evangelical minister in Uganda. Some called him the Billy Graham of Africa. And in his book, he basically describes the history of the church in Uganda, and he talked about the first martyrs in the nation's history. And he says this, and I quote from his book, In the year 1885, three Christian boys shed their blood for Christ in Uganda. The king had ordered the arrest of these boys in an effort to stamp out Christianity. The oldest was 15, and the youngest was 11-year-old Yusufu. They, had fast, they held fast their faith and staked their lives on it, though people were weeping and their parents were pleading with them. At the place of execution, the boy sent a message to the king. Tell his majesty that he has put our bodies in the fire, but we won't be long in the fire. Soon we shall be with Jesus, which is much better. But ask him to repent and change his mind, or he will land in the place of eternal fire. Well, the writer goes on. They sang a song, which is now well-loved in Uganda, as known as the martyr's song. One verse says, Oh, that I had wings like the angels, I would fly away and be with Jesus. It's reported that also that little Yusufu said, Please don't cut off my arms. I will not struggle in the fire that takes me to Jesus. Now, as a result of that, the writer says 40 adults came to Jesus that day. The boys died. This was a new kind of life which fire and torture could not control. He said, we now have a memorial near Kampala where these youngsters are remembered as the first Christian martyrs of Uganda. He goes on by 1887, the end of the first decade of the church, hundreds had died and there were martyrs out of every village that had believers. There were only beginners. They knew little theology and some could barely read, but they had fallen in love with Jesus Christ. Life had taken on completely new meaning. The value of living and living eternally had been discovered. They were not hugging their life, but ready to give them up for Jesus. During these dangerous days, there was an immediate and steady increase in the number of those embracing Christ, End quote. Just a little slice of history of the church in one place at one time, but that goes on all over the place, on and on. Little boys, little girls, men, women, old folks, people throughout the history of the church who have been unashamed of, of Jesus Christ, who have been willing to confess Him before men, as verse 32 says. No matter how hostile those men might have been, no matter the cost, they would not deny him. So here Jesus is saying, when you take a stand, be prepared for persecution, be prepared for accusations, be prepared for conflict. And then he says in verses 34 through 39, be prepared for division. And that's our second point, be prepared for division. Look at verses 34 through 37. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, before you got saved, you probably thought you were an easygoing guy or gal. You got along just with everybody. I mean, people liked you. You liked them and never really made any waves. You really were not very confrontational in people's lives but then you gave your life to Jesus Christ and all of a sudden all that division came in a man against his father a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be those of his own household see Jesus is saying be prepared for persecution be prepared for accusations be prepared for your in-laws no that's not what he's saying <laughs> for division in other words, Jesus says, following me, me means that there will be division between you and yours. He says, I come with a sword to divide and separate. I mean, isn't it true when somebody gets saved and they give their life to Jesus Christ, that usually creates division between them and their family. I know way back, many years now, uh, before I gave my life to the Lord, and, and, and uh, in my home, when my mom and my brothers and sisters found out, that I became a born-again Christian, there was division between us immediately. Why? Well, because they were uncomfortable. Why? Because I found the Savior, which implied if I found a Savior, there needs to be a sinner, someone needing to be saved. And so when you witnessed to mom or dad or sister or brother and said to them, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When you said that, what you were saying is you guys are sinners. And when you confront people with their sin, it makes them feel really uncomfortable, And especially when it's your family. And I grew up with you. Who are you to tell me what I am and what I'm not? It's like the light coming into a dark room. It's kind of like when you, when you take a rock, maybe you're working, you take a big rock and you move it, and all these bugs and worms scatter. I remember many years ago now when my son Matthew was probably, he was young, probably five or six years old. And I was out doing some yard work and, and, uh, and moving bricks and rocks. And I did that. I moved this big rock and all these bugs and worms were scrambling because they'd been exposed to the light. Now Matthew collected all the worms that he had. He had a handful of worms and, and if, if Annie remembers, he put them down Annie's back at the time and, and not a good thing. Maybe that's what we call Annie, Annie bug. I, I don't know why that, but but the point is the bugs scrambled because they were exposed to the light because they love the darkness. They're Perfectly content in, in, the, in that darkness. But as soon as you move that rock, as soon as you expose that, that light in, in that, the, 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 you know, to the darkness, that's what Jesus is saying here. They scrambled, So that when you come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and you stand up for Christ, you've just moved that rock. Okay? You're shining the light of Jesus in that darkness. Don't expect them to be happy about it. Especially with family members. They don't like to see that you're different than they are. And that causes division. You know, it's like being in a pitch black room when someone's shining a flashlight in your eyes. You're, you're irritated. You want them to get that away from you as far as possible. And they start avoiding you like the plague. And I, I know, for me, that's what happened. I, we had friends that, I mean, friends were all throughout high school, buddies, and, and I told them I was a Christian, I was born again, God's changed my life, it's amazing, and, oh, that's great. <laughs> they stopped coming around. Stopped hearing from them, and... And, and that first happened in my own family, you know, as well. But the point is, you know, I, I knew that ahead of time. Not that I liked it, but, but I knew why. And I've shared this before. Eventually, you know, I prayed for seven years for my mom to know Jesus Christ. And, and four months before the Lord took her home, she confessed Jesus Christ as her Lord and as her Savior. You know, Jesus said that, that he's going to make us fishers of men. That means we're to fish in the lake of our family. Yeah, throw, throw that line out, fish in the lake of our friends, co-workers, and schools. But do you know what else that implies? We think we're, we're, we're called to be fishermen or fisherwomen. We're out there and we have this attitude. Yes, I'm fishing. I'm fishing for men. Yeah. But God actually puts you and I on the hook and throws us out, you know. Well, God, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. We think we're the fishermen, but we're actually the bait. We're the worm at the end of the hook. Jesus is the fisherman, and he's using you, and he's using your life as bait at the end of his hook to catch his fish. And you know what? Sometimes you get nibbled on. Sometimes you, you get bit, you know, and, and it hurts. But then sometimes you get hooked, and, and they love Jesus, and, and they become the bait for someone else. But unfortunately, some of us as Christians weren't prepared for that or prepared for what we would face when we came to Christ. We didn't expect people to reject us. We, we thought, oh, our, our family, they're going to love us, and they're going to love what God has done in my life. And I think partly to blame for that is for those that have shared the gospel, maybe, maybe incorrectly. Maybe someone told you, hey, come to faith in Jesus Christ, and, and all your problems will go away. The skies will always be blue. The sun will always shine. You'll never experience any problems. Things go better with God. And while it's true, things do go better with God, the rest of the stuff is simply not true. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, I mean, you're in for a rude awakening because you're going against the flow now. Now you're going upstream. It's going to cause a lot of problems. In fact, look what Jesus says in verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. You may say, well, wait a minute. I mean, isn't Jesus... In Scripture, called the Prince of Peace. I mean, aren't we at Christmas time? Uh, you know, the angel announced at his birth that there would be peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And here Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring on earth a peace on earth. I did not come to, but a sword. Listen, Jesus is not saying, My aim, my goal, my motive is to deliberately divide people. He's not saying that. He's simply stating the effect of Jesus in a family the effect of the gospel in, in a culture. It will defy will divide. That's the effect of it. Yes, ultimately the Messiah will bring peace. Until then, the Messiah and the gospel will bring division. One day he'll bring peace. He'll bring peace inwardly right now as you give your life to Jesus Christ, as you receive him. He'll bring that peace inwardly. But also, ultimately, when he rules and reigns in, in the world, that'll be for eternally, eternity. In the meantime, there's division. Jesus says, I brought a sword. Now what does the sword do? Among other things, it divides. Hebrews 4.12, I love this verse. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If God is using you and I to use the word of God, the sword of the spirit, you are going to pierce some hearts. You're going to cause some damage. And most people, they don't like to get poked. Okay? You know, dads don't like to get poked by their sons, and sons don't like to get poked by their dads. Mom don't like to get poked by their daughters. Poking, again, I mean by telling them they need, they need Christ. That daughter-in-law is not going to be too liked from her mother-in-law if she's poked telling her she needs, to be Christ, she needs Christ. But let me say all of this. What, what I'm saying is this kind of division leads to unity. And you tell, uh, you get saved and you tell your sister, brother, mother, dad, and they get saved and before you know it, the whole family has come to faith. In the end, Jesus then has brought real peace because the Prince of Peace is enthroned in each and every person's heart of your family. And that's what we need to ask God to do in our lives. Lord, help me to see that the division that can bring unity. Maybe you have some friction in your home right now that has come as a result of you committing your life to Jesus Christ. And you think, oh, this is, this is bad, this is not good. I suggest you, it is a good thing. See, I, I think when all is quiet on the Western front, maybe something is wrong. If you're really confessing uh, Christ before men, if you're really living a godly life, there's going to be friction. There's going to be tension. And that's a good tension as long as we do it lovingly. I think we need to be careful when we're sharing with our unsaved family members, or you're dealing with them on scriptural matters and things going on. That we need to be careful that we we don't become like little Pharisees, you know, holier than now and and in kind of a little condemning of others. I think that can happen, especially with new believers. You know that they haven't really learned to temper their zeal with wisdom, and 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 you know, coming with both barrels blazing, trying to blow people away, and oh, you, he, you need to, and, you know. And, and I know. You know, I, I done that, did that with my uh, family when I first got saved. You know, Oh, the Lord's coming back. Cancel my life insurance. He's coming back tomorrow. You need to give your life to Christ. You guys are going to hell. And, you know, my family looked at me and go, are you nuts? Well, then you realize that it's about living your life for the Lord, letting them see that, you know, that, that, that you need to learn, especially with family, the most effective witness is to live what you, what you preach. Maybe you have a non-believing spouse or children that you have raised in the Lord and have gone astray or friends you you want to reach. Hold your course. Stay the path. That tension, that very thing that makes us uncomfortable can ultimately bring about the ultimate unity as, as each puts their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And He's just preparing us for the reactions that we may encounter. And then He adds this. Look at verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now understand, God is a jealous God. And He also loves the family. God created the family. It was God's idea. In fact, God's word were, for this reason God said, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined into his wife. The two will become one flesh. It was His idea. It was His plan. But the family was never to be the number one on the list of personal priorities in your life. Now, I do, I do thank God for the focus and the emphasis that has been on the family in the Christian church and, and, and the many resources that are available for, for, for fathers to be better dads, uh, you know, husbands to be better, better husbands for their wives, you know, the fathers to love their children, to, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. A lot of resources out there, and all of that is great. But as important as that is, we can never place our family above our relationship with God. You know, I hear from time to time people say, well, my number one priority is my family. That that sounds noble, but it's not true. If, If you're a Christian, your number one priority must be obedience to Christ, who is obedient enough to go to the cross for you and for me. And if we want to follow Jesus, our love for Him has to transcend our deepest natural affections. Do you love Jesus more than you love your parents? You should. But Jesus makes it even more challenging do you love him more than your own love your own child? You should. Again, Jesus is saying, following me is not going to be easy. It's going to cost all. It's going to cause divisions. It's going to cause rejections, persecution, accusations, reactions. It's going to come from those that are closest to us, those who are running from the Lord. He's preparing his disciples for that which is going to happen uh, by virtue of the fact that they are his disciples. I mean, really, that's the gauge. You'll know that you're you're one of his disciples, one of his representatives, when you actually have opposition going towards you. Now the opposite is true as well. If you're not experiencing any adversity, any opposition, then it's because you're not arousing the principalities and the powers of darkness. Because if you're not taking ground from Satan and his kingdom, and you're not gaining ground for God's kingdom, then you're really no threat to the enemy. He's not going to concern himself with you. I mean, why attack a church or a pastor or a Christian or a marriage that is not affecting or impacting or having any negative effect on the power of darkness? It's been said the enemy is never too busy to rock the cradle of a sleeping Christian. On the other hand, what starts to happen when we start impacting our world, our workplace, our community, our family for Jesus Christ, watch out because there's going to be a whole lot of problems. And again, Jesus is preparing his disciples and us in this chapter of what sort and source these problems will come from. You know, he said it's going to come from the government. It's going to come from the religious leaders at that time. It's going to come from those closest to you, the ones that you thought you could trust, your family. Just be prepared. But he also gives this warning. Look at verse 38. And he does not take his cross and follow after me. He is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Oh, how this generation needs to hear this today. You know, in the 60s, it was find yourself. We tried, and we didn't like what we found. In the 70s, it was improve yourself. and We had all kinds of health clubs and, and were open, but it didn't work. People were still unhappy. In the 80s brought the decade of greed. It was serve yourself, and our nation grew more and more materialistic and less and less fulfilled. Nineties, it was reinventyourself.com. And I would have to say, since the 2000s began, it's just plain self and who cares about anyone else. I mean, we have Instagram and Facebook, which is all about self. And we have, let's take our selfies with my selfie stick and my, my phone. And then, listen, every generation, no matter what one it is, Jesus says, die to self. And unfortunately, we will do everything for self except die to self. But here Jesus says, die to self, but then he adds this, take up the cross. Now, today it would be like Jesus saying, take up the gas chamber, or take up the electric chair. You know, we wear crosses around our neck, or pins on our, 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 you know, shirts, but but can't you imagine if we started wearing little gas chambers or electric chairs? I mean, that would more fully capture what, what Jesus is saying here. What if when we sang at the cross, instead we sang, at the gas chamber, at the gas chamber, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. So I think the cross has lost its impact because it's so familiar to us. But to those people that heard these words that Jesus said at that time, if you want to come after me, you've got to take up your cross, they understood exactly what they meant. They've seen criminals taking up that cross to their death. They understood what he was saying. Again, for us, it would be like saying, you want to follow after me? Take up that electric chair. Take up that gas chamber and die a degrading death. Die to self. And that is why as long as we live for self, we will never live the life that Jesus Christ promised us. A life more abundant. A life more full. A life more holy. You see, Jesus, when He says, if you're going to follow me, you have to carry a cross, Jesus knew what He was going to go through. He knew He was going to the cross. He was going to die as an act of obedience to His Father. So he's simply saying, if you follow me, you need to die to your own selfish ambition, perhaps even your own comfort. It's a death to your own agenda. It means a life of surrender. It means a life of obedience, just like Jesus lived a life of obedience that caused him to die on the cross. It means taking all of my plans, my goals, my aspirations, and I place them at the feet of Jesus. And I say, Lord, I want what you want for my life, not what I want for my life. I want you first in all that I do. Don't be afraid to pray that prayer. I'll tell you why. Jeremiah 29, 11, I think we all know that verse. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I can pray that prayer because I know that God is thinking of me. And He wants what's best for me. His thoughts are for good. They're, they're about my future. They're about giving me hope, not for evil. He's not against me. So when you come to the Lord, you can say, Lord, here are my plans. Here are my goals. Here's what I want to do. But if you have something different in mind, I surrender it to you. I've come to see that the Father knows best. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What God does in your life will be better than what you you'd ever could have done on your own. So I must take up the cross. I must surrender my life to Him. Then verse 39, He says, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I and mean, this is the, the key to life, folks. And the reason we don't get it often is because it's a paradox. You want to find it? Well, you need to lose it. <laughs> you want victory? Well, you need to come to your own defeat. Do you want to have life and that more abundantly? Well, then you need to go to your own crucifixion. Do you want to experience the, the strength of God? Then you need to come to the place of your own weakness. It's It's a paradox. Do you want to come to a place where you're so filled up with the Lord and the Holy Spirit that your life becomes just a torrent of living water? Then you need to empty yourself. Because God can't fill you up with himself when you're already full of yourself. Paul put it this way in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted of lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. All these things that I thought that I wanted, I thought were, were achievements, It's rubbish. Listen, life, the Christian life, is, is made up of choices. I think of Moses, you know, he had to make a choice, and the book of Hebrews tells us that Moses willingly experienced the persecution, and the hardships rather than enjoy enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why was Moses willing to give up all the treasures of Egypt and suffer with with the people of God? Here's the reason. The very worst that God would allow to happen in your life is better than the very best the world would ever give to you. Now, some people, some people who are Christians, they complain, oh, I hate my life. I, I, I don't like this. This is horrible. How come God didn't do this? And How come God didn't do that? And they're complaining. Essentially what they're saying is, God, you don't treat your servants very well. But think of the alternative. What if your life was easy, perfect, wealthy, you had surplus of cash, you never had a problem, lived your life and you died and go to hell? How'd you like that? See, Jesus says, "What is the profit of man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? So the very worst that God will allow to happen in your life is better than the very best that the world would ever give to you. So just play out those alternatives to the very end and you'll be able to think clearly. So that's the paradox. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the key to the fulfilled life. Jesus is saying, "I want you to be prepared for what you'll encounter. I send you out among the wolves. You're going to experience persecution. It's going to come from the government, from the spiritual leaders. Don't be surprised. You're going to be accused of things. Uh, they accuse me of things. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have division. It's going to even come in your, in your own family. But don't give up. I know it's going to be hard, but that's what the Christian life is all about. No one said it would be easy. I mean, if, if we really uh, want to be a disciple, then it means counting the cost. It means denying ourselves, dying to ourselves daily. Again, saying, Lord, today is not mine. It's yours. What do you want from me? Now we come to the best part, the encouragement. Yes, we're going to have difficult times. Yes, division and conflict. But the rewards are out of this world. Point number three, be prepared for the blessing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of the man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I love that verse. Jesus put it this way back in chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Now look at verse 40 through 42. Jesus says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now to be a prophet basically means to be a spokesperson for another person. The prophets in the Old Testament were spokespersons or spokesmen for God. And the apostles were here known as spokesmen for Christ. He sent them out. It gave them a message to prepare uh, them for a job. And so the message was, uh, you know, verse 40, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. As the message goes out, that's what they expected. So in the midst of the bad news, Jesus says, be prepared for some good news. Be prepared for the blessings. Not everybody is going to reject the message. Some people are actually going to go, I get it. I want it. I want my sin forgiven. I want to be born again. I receive that. And not only as a result of that you'll be blessed, but as a response to the gospel message by faith, you're going to be blessed in heaven with a reward, a heavenly reward, because of your faithfulness to Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here essentially at the end of chapter 10, is, is the reward that you'll be receiving will be, the, will be proportionate to that which you do. I think that some of the rewards we will never realize until we are with him, for all eternity. Things we've done, we thought, wow, Lord, thank you. I, I, I didn't think nothing about that. Reminds me of a story about a preacher and a New York City cab driver who died on the same day it was greeted in heaven by Peter. The preacher received a small cottage, but the cab driver received this large, magnificent mansion. The preacher was a little bit disturbed by this turn of events and decided to ask Peter why he received this small cottage, and the cab driver received the mansion. Well, Peter said, it's really quite simple, when you preached, many people slept, but when he was driving, everyone stayed awake and prayed. <laughs> I always love the saying, soon this life will pass, but only that which is done for Jesus Christ will last. And that's so true. So all the things done in our flesh, for Corinthians says, it's going to be burned up. Wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be gone. But the things that we did for Christ, The things that we did to bring Him glory. That same fire will be turned into precious stones, gold, and silver. Rewards. See, when they're subjected to the fire, it purifies them. It makes them even more valuable. And as I said, a lot of the rewards, we don't even, never realize until we are in eternity. But no, they're in good hands. You've heard the saying, you know, you're in good hands with all state. While our portfolio, so to speak, is in better hands. Where moth and dust can't destroy, where a thief can't break in and steal them, as Matthew 6 says. What's interesting to me as we read here is that the most insignificant things in the eyes of the world is significant in the eyes of the Lord. Something as insig- it is not as significant as a little cup of water. Look at verse 42 again. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. See, we're back to being prepared. Be prepared for conflicts and divisions, but be prepared for blessings. Prepare yourself. To simply give a cup of cold water to a child, and you're going to be blessed. That's why I have like like at least two bottles of water up here in the pulpit. You know, if the kids come up here, here you go. <laughs> okay, I don't do that. That's not the only reason, but I think about it when I give them water. I do think about that. You know. Let me illustrate it this way, and then we'll close with this. God presents many choices for us throughout the day. And what we do with those choices is up to us. But He's giving us many opportunities uh, uh, for investments, really, in, in the kingdom. For example, maybe you're in a hurry, and you've you got to get to Sam's, or you've got to get to Walmart, you've you got to buy this last whatever, this last person, you've got to get that before they're gone. And all of a sudden, God brings someone in your path that you, you might minister to. And as they, they start talking to you, they begin to really start sharing from their heart what's going on. What do you do? We have that choice. Either say, I, I mean, I've got to get to stamps," or you spend time talking to them about Jesus Christ. Huh. What's the, what has greater rewards? Obviously we know. Watch TV or read the Word and pray. Which one has greater rewards? Calling someone on the phone and, that you haven't seen in a while and checking up on them. How you doing? How can I pray for you? You know, giving uh, without you know, you know, giving others a thought. I mean, I mean uh, which one is greater rewards? And just go on in your day and, and not do anything. Countless, countless opportunities are there for us as a church. Again, Jesus says even the insignificant ones, like a cup of water, that person shall by no means lose his reward. So does that mean that we can lose our rewards we already have? Can your account get in the negative, overdrawn, insufficient funds, all right, got to pay up? (laughs) No, I don't believe we can lose rewards we've already obtained. But I do think we can lose uh, on opportunities for more rewards in heaven. I wonder what our response is going to be uh, when we get to heaven and we see all that we could have had, all that we missed out on because we didn't see it this way. So as we close, be prepared. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be division. Uh, There's also going to be great blessing to be had. And and may we in this Christmas season not lose lose sight of the one that we serve. May we we be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and seek to minister to those that are hurting, to those that are lost, and, and in need of a Savior. And may we do it not because we want to receive the rewards, but because we are so in love with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, Jesus said back up in, in verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my, my sake will find it. If you said, well, I need to find myself, let me suggest you that that's not what you need to find. You need to find Jesus Christ. To find yourself will not benefit anyone or anything else, but to find Jesus Christ is, is eternal life. Living for yourself is not gratifying. It's not fulfilling. It will end, and in the end, you'll just be, be in misery and emptiness. If you really want to find the deepest meaning of life, lose your life in Jesus Christ and in the things of Christ. I won't promise you it'll be easy. As I said, the Christian walk isn't easy, but if you give your life to Jesus Christ, He'll give you so much more in return. Not only eternity rewards, but, but peace and joy right now. You know, we sing about that. You know, you know, the Christmas season—joy and peace. Jesus really offers true joy and lasting peace. And the greatest joy is not in in giving; rather, it's found in giving, not in receiving. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus said in John 15:11, "These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full." Peace and joy. The person that is seeking to find himself is usually in a disturbed state of mind. They usually say it with agitation. But the, the, but the person who's lost his life and found Jesus Christ and there's peace and there's joy. And so if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ I encourage you as soon as service is over the elders will be up front here. would love to pray with you and give you a Bible. Let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Don't wait another minute all by yourself. Find that, that joy and peace in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your joy, your peace. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, rise again from the dead, and giving us eternal life, abundant life here on this earth and on into heaven. And Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be the witness for you, especially during this holiday season, Lord. That as we meet with family and friends that don't know you, Lord, that we would confess you before them. That we would not deny you, Lord, by the power of your Spirit working in and through our lives. That we would have boldness to make a stand. But Lord, that we would do it with gentleness and kindness and in love. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you give to us. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to experience the forgiveness of their sin and the love that you have for them. Help them to see their need to turn from their sin and turn to you this morning. Thank you for our time together, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.